0: Welcome, everybody, to episode 16 of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, recorded by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. My name is Elon Dubrovsky, and joining me, as always, from Japan is Brian Calm.
1: Hi, everybody.
0: So we've got a big show today. Let's just get started right away. Let's talk about some headlines of the week. We're going to try a new format for the show. We're going to start with some headlines. Brian... Did you notice earlier this week Ben Scrivens had a 59-save shutout, broke the record for most saves in a shutout in history?
1: I did see that. And like everyone, I was pretty impressed. I think that's a really good sign for him and the Oilers and, and his owners. I think the Oilers have been waiting, you know, Dubnik's gone and they're sort of hoping, I think, someone's going to step up. And Brisgolov certainly has not really stood out and made a clear case for being a number one goalie. He has a 903 save percentage, 3.22 goals against average. Now, we can't blame that on him, I don't think completely. The Oilers are a bit of a mess defensively right now, but good on Ben Scrivens for his 59-save shutout. But we should also give credit to the San Jose Sharks for taking 59 shots in 60 minutes.
0: Yeah, that's, I think, the thing that stands out. So after the shutout, everyone on Reddit is like, oh my God, should I grab Scrivens? He's available in my league. Should I drop Kodobin, pick up Ben Scrivens? And I feel like, dudes, Edmonton led in 59 shots. You don't want to pick up a goalie from a team that lets in 59 shots in one game. That's not a good sign. To me, it seemed obvious not to take Scrivens. He's not going to be able to do this every night. I'm curious to get your thoughts, Brian, but I think he definitely came back to earth because just yesterday he let in four goals against the Bruins in a 4 nothing Bruins win, a typical Oilers game.
1: Right, and they also gave up 41 shots to the Bruins in that game. I don't think you can really count on any... Edmonton goalie this year that's a lesson that I learned the hard way earlier in the season and just before we move on to the next headline I think it's worth noting who would you guess took the most shots for San Jose in that game
0: oh I'll
1: let you choose one of the top two shot getters one of the top two you just have to get one of them
0: all right well I mean I'm just trying to think through stars on the sharks it's obviously not couture because he is injured so I'll just go with Marlow. Uh, Marlowe
1: wrong he was third with five shots on goal you want one more guess
0: sure Thornton wrong he's not really a shot taker
1: no he had three shots on goal. I don't know
0: Brent Burns
1: bingo Brent Burns with eight shots on goal second place unexpectedly Tommy Wingles Hmm. with six shots on goal that's a name we haven't talked about in a while and the kicker for your fantasy lineup Elon guess who had zero shots the (laughs) only Sharks player not to register a shot on goal Pavelski Joe Pavelski that's funny
0: I'm not too worried about him he scored a goal yesterday
1: yeah he'll be fine
0: and another goal in the shootout but of course that doesn't count for anything
1: (laughs) nope it doesn't okay what's next
0: let's move on to headline number two and by the way listeners if you want to submit your ideas for headlines of the week uh, you could email us at keepingcarlson at gmail.com I didn't mention that at the top of the show what kind of host am I Brian bad one sorry so headline number two healthy scratches P.A. Parento and Thomas Fleischman both took turns sitting as healthy scratches for their teams. Both surprising, both people who were likely drafted in your fantasy pool at the beginning of the year. Brian, let's start with P.A. Parento because you have him on your fantasy team. How did it feel to you that he was healthy scratched and what does it mean for him moving forward for the rest of the season?
1: Well, it was even more unfortunate because I had just moved him off IR and had to drop a player who played a game that night to have him active to be a healthy scratch. Um, So that was frustrating. But I'm not worried long term about him. I think there were a lot of rumors, right, when he was healthy scratch that he'd been traded, like for Rene Bork to Montreal, which wouldn't have made sense.
0: That's bananas.
1: And I think, you know, I will take Patrick Watt face value for now. He said he just rested him so that they, they were playing many games in a short stretch of time, and he said he was still coming back from injury, and he needs some time to make sure that he stays healthy after having just come back to the lineup. So I am blindly, optimistically, hoping that while I was telling the truth, and that's the case, I don't expect Parento to be scratched too many more times.
0: Right, yeah, you wouldn't think so. It's not like he's been abysmal this season, like the other healthy scratcher, Thomas Fleischman. What is happening with this guy?
1: I don't know what's happening with him. I mean, well, what's happening with him is he plays for Florida, and maybe he's defied the odds over the last couple seasons, you know. But since being traded from Washington, where he never really got a fair shake, you know, he went to Colorado and then to Florida, he's never scored at a pace lower than 0.72 points per game.
0: Until this year.
1: Yeah, until his current pace right now. And I choose to also see this optimistically as a silver lining, that maybe he's getting what he needs to produce because something's not working. I wouldn't expect him to be out of the lineup regularly. But as an owner, my advice would be to hang in there with him. And if he's available as a free agent, definitely keep him on your watch list at the very least, because I don't think that his skill has disappeared. And I think he'll be back just fine.
0: Yeah, so earlier this year, he was dropped by someone in my league. And I was thinking, oh man, should I grab Fleisch when he's doing so poorly this year? And this was like a couple of months ago. And then one of my main rivals, the guy who's in second place in my pool, he picked him up. And I thought, oh, damn it, I probably should have grabbed him. If he grabbed him, I should have grabbed him. But then he continued to do nothing over the past two months. Let's even give it some context. In his last 12 games, he has three assists. So this is the type of production we're talking about. So just recently... This guy has dropped Fleischman, so he's once again in my free agent list. No one has taken him yet. And I guess, like you say, I'll put him on my watch list, but I don't think I'm going to be picking up any Florida Panthers offensemen for the rest of the year.
1: Yeah, it's really... Probably not what you want your first option to be. But like I said, I expect him to come back. And one of the reasons is because if you look at his shooting percentage, he's shooting at a 4% rate, which is really low. He Over the course of his career, he shoots at 11.4%. On about the same amount of shots last year, he had seven more goals. So I'm not going to fault him terribly. Maybe he's just seeing some bad luck. His team's save percentage while he's on the ice isn't that great either, which I think is probably maybe hurting his ability to take offensive chances. That's pure speculation though but but the real deal is, is if you look at his shooting percentages they're low they should progress back to the mean and I would take a flyer on him especially if you've got somebody else who's burning a hole in your roster
0: right now. Hmm. The one thing I'll say against that, and then we'll move on to the next headline, these shots that he's been taking to lead to this poor shooting percentage probably were building up back when he was getting 17, 18 minutes a game. He was healthy scratched, then he came back yesterday, played 14 minutes, and took zero shots. So even if he's shooting at 100%, if he doesn't take a shot, nothing's going to go in, as the great Wayne Gretzky once said. You
1: miss 100% of the shots that you don't take.
0: Indeed. So yeah, he definitely needs to regain the confidence of his coach. To be given the opportunity to take some shots and hopefully get some bounces. Let's move on to our third headline of the week. Injuries, which is not really a headline because there's always injuries. I just wanted to talk about some of the injured players. Get your thoughts. So the big one is Stephen Stamkos. Brian, did you know he's injured? What? (laughs) Move him to your IR already. Come on, guys. But no, Stamkos has been injured for a long time, and now he is skating. It seems imminent. It's not a matter of months. It might not even be a matter of weeks. Stamkos is on his way back. What does this mean for the remainder of the fantasy hockey season?
1: Well, it means maybe Tampa will do a little less scoring by committee. We've talked a few times about how their whole lineup has gotten involved, and they've actually improved in their possession numbers since Stamkos has been out. So we'll see if they can keep that up. Also, something to watch for in Tampa, especially when Stamkos comes back. They have uh, one of the easiest schedules remaining in the league. Actually, I think they do, according to a post by Travis Yost over at NHLNumbers.com. We can link to it in the show notes. But with easy competition and Stamkos in the lineup and what really seems to be like a, a team that's matured, I think people who own Tampa players are probably in for some good things, except the ones who are like, going to be bumped down because Stamkos is back.
0: Obviously, there's going to be the one golden roster spot, the person who plays with Stamkos and Martin St-Louis. Do we have any insight into who has the inside track on that job? No unique
1: insight on my part. But if you look back earlier in the season, uh, their line mates were uh, Ryan Malone at times and Alex Killorn at times. And neither of those have really been setting the world on fire. So you wonder if the Lightning will try someone else, like maybe Palat, or, I don't know, just throwing it out there, Tyler Johnson. Maybe if it is and if he does get another shot, then his fantasy value is worth watching.
0: Another frustrating injury this week, specifically for me, because he's on my team, Evander Kane. He had already been injured. He came back from his hand injury, played a couple of games, and now he's out again until after the Olympics. So I guess my question to you is, what do you know about hand injuries? Is this the kind of thing that could end up lingering and affecting him once he ultimately comes back again? Or is this the kind of thing that they'll rest? I think it's something like an infection and then he'll be back to his regular playing ways.
1: Well, as someone who once had their pinky broken, I can attest that everything will be just pretty much back to normal based on my single experience with a broken pinky finger.
0: Okay, well, that's good to know. I know sometimes players, maybe if it's like a concussion type injury, you're worried that there's going to be after effects. But hopefully this hand injury will heal quickly and well.
1: The hand is an important part of a hockey player's body.
0: (laughs) What's the least important part of a hockey player's body? His hair. (laughs) Well, that's sometimes what makes a superstar. Would Jager have been so famous without that hair back in the 90s? No, you've got a point. (laughs) Okay, one other injury I wanted to talk about is Henrik Sedin. He's been out for a while. We actually got a question a few weeks ago on the podcast. Someone asked, are the Sedins the most overrated players? And we decided to say, no, of course not. That's crazy. They might be doing a little worse. But, you know, moving forward, Henrik Sedin has been out a bunch of games. You can't really blame him for that. But even before he got injured, he was pointless in his last four games. Daniel Sedin is pointless in his last five games. So even with Henrik Sedin coming back... There must be some worry with Sedin owners that they're not going to be able to actually help them when the fantasy playoffs start. What are your thoughts?
1: Well, I wouldn't put too much stock into Henrik's pointless streak before he finally took time out because you you might have heard but he had the second longest active Iron Man streak in the NHLs and that just ended and I think there were several times especially over the last couple of weeks where he was playing injured. I don't know, you know, the coach would steadfastly refuse to say it's to keep the streak going. And I guess it's a fair argument because, you know, a 50% Henrik Sedin is still better than, you know, an 80% or 100% AHL replacement. But perhaps he was playing injured for a little while. And for that reason, I wouldn't put too much stock in his struggles beforehand. And as Henrik goes, so does Daniel, right? Like their point totals match up so closely, so often they both get points off of each other. So I think if one is hurt, it does hurt the other. I wouldn't put too much stock into what happened over such a short period of time, especially when there appears to be a clear explanation for it. But we'll see what happens once Henrik comes back.
0: All right, let's move on to the next segment of the show. We're going to talk about our fantasy hockey teams and how they did this week. We got some really good feedback on Reddit from both Sedgehammer90 and Worship, who both were telling me that maybe they don't like it when we talk about our teams, because how is that helpful for other people? So we're going to try to talk about our teams, but give the context of how this insight can help you in your fantasy hockey pool. So thanks again for the feedback. We really appreciate it. And please let us know how we do this weekend moving forward. We love to get feedback like this. We want to make this show the best it can be to help everyone win their hockey pools. But with that said, Brian, how'd you do last week?
1: Looks like it worst I'll be playing to a draw this week. And for the Flamingos, it looks like it's the same old story. I'm nearly sweeping the skater categories, but getting swept in the goalie ones. And... The reason for that is because Harding is still out and it's really starting to hurt because the shine is starting to wear off Darcy Kemper. In six starts over the last two weeks, Kemper's save percentage has been 906 or under four times. And in each of those games, he gave up three or more goals. This week, he's a cumulative 886 save percentage with a 3.78 goals against average. It makes me glad that I've hung on to Nicholas Backstrom this far. You remember I was talking about dropping him last week because now I'm beginning to wonder if he's going to get one more shot at redeeming his awful season so far before Harding comes back healthy. On the other side, my opponent this week has ridden Steve Mason's two pretty surprising shutouts to victory. And you'll recall I'm sort of really frustrated because last week... I had to deal with Andrej Pavlic punching well above his weight. And now I get an unreasonably hot Steve Mason. And yeah, Mason did have like a more characteristic stinker of a game in between his two shutouts. But his numbers for the week still stand at two wins, 1.35 goals against, and 958 save percentage. And it hurts because if you go back and look at his six starts before this week, he'd let up three or more goals in five of those six starts. And he had save percentages mostly below 900. So really bad timing for me to get this matchup because I think the shutouts that Mason got are actually the aberrations to otherwise mediocre numbers. He did start off the season surprisingly strong. But if you look, he's regressed really hard since his impressive start. Since December, he's put up like a sub-mediocre 894 save percentage and 3.09 goals against average. And these numbers, if you look at his numbers for the whole season... You know, they're still papered over by the first two months where he was playing out of his mind, so although his numbers on the season are still okay, they don't reflect his apparent skill level, in my opinion. But his splits from the last two months with subpar save percentage and goals against averages are much more in line with his career numbers, and I wouldn't count on him to sustain his play from this week. Steve Mason is really not someone your fantasy team should be counting on as you head toward the playoffs. Unfortunately, my opponent this week could count on Steve Mason.
0: Mm, Interesting analysis. Well, that makes me happy because the guy who I was mentioning that's number two in my pool right now, who I consider to be my top competition, he's right now relying on Steve Mason. So hopefully you're right and these shutouts will continue for him.
1: Yeah, well, that's good news for you. Offensively for my team, Tyler Sagan's six points and James Van Riemsdijk's five have helped me a lot. And John Carlson, he showed up with three assists, seven shots on goal, and a handful of shot blocks. And I'd like to give special mention to Mark Scheifele, who remains my free agent pickup of the year at this point. He had another goal and two assists and a plus five rating this week. He has 23 points in his last 28 games played, although only three have come on the power play and he's averaging fewer than two shots on goal a game. But hey, I'll take it any way it comes.
0: Yeah, you must be happy about Scheifele. I picked him up too and traded him away for Cody Hodgson, who also pretty much kept up the same pace. So I guess that was a win-win trade. That was a good trade for you. And well, how did Hodgson and the rest of your team do this week? I'll mention some of the players who have been really hot for me. I'm sure a lot of people listening have been enjoying the production of Phil Kessel, or hopefully some of you have. He had an amazing game yesterday against the Senators, three goals and one assist. That leaves him with three goals and four assists on the week, seven points in only three games. Another awesome player this week has been Scott Hartnell, who is back and playing with Giroux.
1: Great news for you. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, great news for anyone who owns Scott Hartnell. He had been bumped to the second line when Michael Raffle took his spot. And you know, actually, he was doing amazing on that second line with Wayne Simmons and company. But he's back on the top line. He may be my free agent pick of the year. Though, actually, as well as he's been doing, he's not my free agent pick of the year because that distinction goes to Kyle Ocposo. He had another amazing week. He just keeps on rolling. He had two goals and two assists in three games. A really surprising thing about those points is none of those points have been assisted or accompanied by John Tavares. John Tavares has no points in his last three games, and I'm not saying this to make people worried about John Tavares and start you know, trade high on John Tavares before it's too late, but just the fact that Ocposo is able to generate points without Tavares' help I think is a really good sign. For someone like him, just to show that he's not only doing so well because of his line placement.
1: Yeah, that is really good insight. As you know, it's important to me that my fantasy players are the ones who are generating their own offense and not relying on someone else. And it looks like maybe Ocposo is becoming one of those players. Can I also make a couple notes about the other guys you brought up? Please. You mentioned Scott Hartnell retook his place on the first line at the cost of Michael Roffel. It's worth mentioning to our listeners that Michael Roffel is now down to the third slash fourth line in Philly. So I don't think a whole lot's going to come from him. He's got a couple single point games in, I don't know, the last 10, he's got maybe four. Uh, But before that, he really cooled off and is not the hot pickup that he was for, you know, a brief snapshot in time. And also you mentioned Phil Kessel, who's really rounding into an elite fantasy scorer. He's not just the inflated value guy that Leafs fans will trade a lot for or not trade him, you know, for anything short of
0: Sidney Crosby. He's a legitimate top fantasy option right now at right wing. A couple of players from my opponent's team who are worth mentioning. Jerome McGinley, who hasn't really been having a great season, but he's done really well lately. So in his past five games, he has two goals and seven assists. So nine points in five games for Eginla. Good timing for people who stuck with him throughout the whole fantasy hockey season as he's heating up right before the fantasy playoffs. My opponent also has a couple of players from Colorado who garnered her a lot of points in yesterday's huge 7-1 victory. So Jamie McGinn, who I don't think we've ever mentioned on the show, but he had three goals and two assists this week. And Gabriel Landeskog, two goals and three assists. So Colorado as a team just generates so much offense. It's really good to have anyone on. I'd say their top three lines at this point.
1: Elon, we're actually going to talk about that later in the show and we'll see if maybe you'll change your answer.
0: Interesting. Okay. Oh, so much intrigue. So what do you say, Brian? Let's tackle some of the questions we've got from the Keeping Carlson Nation, the fans of the show. I'm ready. So let's start with Fourth's Charter from Reddit. He asks, Excluding his hat trick a few games ago, David Perrin seems to be in an offensive slump. Can I expect him to go back to the scoring pace he had earlier, or will he remain around these numbers? Thanks. And he points out that his team name is Sharpnado. We've answered one of his questions before, I feel like.
1: Yeah, and I'm glad they asked another, especially regarding David Perrin, because I was actually looking into this earlier this week, and uh, I'm sorry, 4th Charter, but the news is not so great. You might remember an episode of our show a couple months ago where we talked about how the reason for David Perrin's success in the early part of the season, it was because he was taking shots at a rate that almost doubled his career average, which of course gave him more chances to score and create offense for his teammates. At that time, he was taking nearly four shots on goal a game, but over the last two months, it looks like he's gone back to his old ways, putting just two shots on goal in an average game. He's also not playing as often with Ryan Nugent Hopkins anymore, and they've been on the ice together for 10 of Perrin's 26 even strength points so far this year. Instead, he's playing with the struggling Sam Gagne, who is also struggling in his possession numbers. I'd say what you're seeing now is probably what you should expect for the rest of the year, unless you see another uptick in the amount of shots that he's putting on goal.
0: All right, well, in that case, let's move on to the next question from Worship. He asked a couple of questions. The one we'll tackle this week is, do you guys expect Hartnell and Simmons to continue being the producing juggernauts they have been? Or should those of us who have them be selling high? Also, Voracek has been awfully quiet. Should I drop him for a free Aginla or Kadri? Also not a very deep league, I guess, if you could have guys like that available.
1: Yeah, right. It doesn't really sound that way. Uh, So I guess whether you keep them or not is maybe a little skewed compared to the way I would see them. But I guess I can answer in saying that I think what you're seeing right now from both Hartnell and Simmons is pretty legit. And it seems a little crazy considering how their seasons began, but it's not really. The chances of their early slumps ending were a lot higher than the chances of their current production falling off. And Elon, I remember how hard I had to push you to pick up Hartnell as a free agent earlier in the year. And like you just said, it's really paid dividends for you. And I think anybody who gives up on him now will be sorry about it. Of the two... Simmons is the one who is probably likelier to see a drop in his numbers, but I wouldn't expect anything significant. And finally, as for Voracek, he has 6 points in his last 10 games played right now and is still firmly on the top line with Giroux and Hartnell. So I would say to keep him maybe in your league his value is a little less, but for me he's definitely worth a roster spot. Although Kadri is definitely tempting and maybe there's someone else on your team who you can drop to make room for Kadri. Who has 14 points in his last nine games played he has 40 on the year now and his underlying numbers suggest that he can keep it up for as long as his coach uses him properly and it's kind of crazy to me that he's a free agent in any
0: fantasy league right now all right how about a couple twitter quickies now so first from at bacon manic miller quick Kemper, pick two And his scoring is 5 for a win, 0.2 for a save, minus 1 for goals against, and 3 for a shutout. So it's a points league. Who's going to give Bacon Manic more points going forward?
1: Well, the key to me is how important wins are, which means that Jonathan Quick is the sure choice of those three to keep. As for the second choice between Miller and Kemper, that one's a little hard with your scoring system because, yeah, Kemper will probably get more wins and have fewer goals against But Miller will have more opportunities to get wins and face more shots. So it seems like maybe it could be six of one, half a dozen of the other. Initially, when you asked this question, I would have taken Kemper. But since then, like I said at the top of the show, he's really struggling. And I think I would take Ryan Miller. Yeah, you might not get as many wins. And yeah, you might lose a few more points via goals against. But overall, I think Miller, especially long term, if he's not available, you know, like three weeks from now when Harding is healthy, hopefully, then you'll be sorry you didn't take Miller now.
0: Yeah, but at the same time, I really hope you didn't take Miller before yesterday, because he let in five goals against Colorado. So definitely a game to forget for Ryan Miller. But before that, he had really high save percentages in his last three games, 0.95, 0.939, 0.947. So yeah, Ryan Miller definitely, I think we could all agree is the better goalie than Kemper, but Minnesota's a stronger team, though they haven't exactly been playing like it lately.
1: No, and they have a really difficult schedule ahead of them also in the link that'll be in our show notes that you can take a look at.
0: Okay, one more question from at2cheese. And by the way, I should mention, if you want to tweet at us, it's at Keeping Carlson. You can tweet at us throughout the week. We don't only answer the questions on the show. We're active trying to help you out. We want you guys to succeed. We want everyone who listens to win their pool, unless they're against each other. Then we want them to come, you know, top two. But okay, at2cheese asks... Offered Schneider for Halak. Schneider is retainable at season's end. Halak is not. And the categories are wins, goals against average, save, save percentage, and shutouts.
1: Well, beyond this year, Schneider, to me, is the obvious choice between the two, especially if you can keep him beyond that year. So if you're not in contention this year, do it. This year, though, if you are in contention... I guess it's a little bit of a more difficult decision. But after Broder's seven goals against in the outdoor game against the Rangers, I think maybe Schneider is for sure number one. The Devils are still a defensively stingy team. And I think that he's still worth his weight. I mean, Halak will get more wins, sure. uh, But I think other than that, the difference is small. And the fact that you would get to keep Schneider, who is really like a top five goalie in the league over the last two years, and projected to be one for a long time to come, he's the one I would choose.
0: All right, let's move on now to a couple of players who might be potentially good pickups for people listening. So people who aren't owned in the majority of pools and might be good people to grab before the playoff run. I wanted to start with Travis Zajac. He's been really hot lately. He's got two goals and six assists in his last six games. So eight points in his last six. And a really good note about Zajac is, Pretty much all of his points are alongside Yager and Eliash, so he's playing with good players. He's got a good opportunity. He's only owned in 39.7% of ESPN leagues at the moment, so he might be someone to watch in my opinion. Of course, Brian might have a different opinion.
1: Well, Elon, those are all good points, and Zajac is a guy whose fantasy value has gone up and down a lot over the last few years, and he seemed to be really reliant on Kovalchuk being healthy and scoring, and once he left, obviously, that hurt his value, but maybe now he's finding his game with a new linemate. He's shown that he could have a pretty decently high ceiling in the past, and also in Yahoo, he's only owned in 8% of leagues, which is surprisingly low, 29 points on the season so far. He's not known for taking a whole lot of
0: shots. But maybe if he keeps this up with Jager, he could be a good addition to your team. And another player who I think falls into a similar category is Mikhail Granlund on Minnesota. So he hasn't had a great season. But if you just look at his last five games, he's got two goals and six assists. So he's on fire. Also shots on goal, four shots in the last game, five the game before. And the reason for that is definitely the return of Zach Parisi, who is now playing with Granlin. They have the first line of Pominville, Granlin, and Parisi. So that's a great line for Granlin to find himself in. And so far, he's living up to it with some great numbers.
1: Yeah, Granlin has run hot and cold this year a lot. I've added and dropped him maybe three times each. So maybe he'll stick this time. I guess I've been burned holding on to him a little longer than I should have a couple times already this year. But Yes, uh, good on you to notice that and keep an eye on him.
0: Yeah, only owned in 26% of ESPN leagues right now. So definitely available to a lot of people. On the opposite side, we always have our snoozers that we like to talk about. So that's people who you might be holding on to when you shouldn't be. Brian, do you have a snoozer for us this week? I do have a snoozer, Lars
1: Eller, and it's been a really disappointing season for him this year. His fantasy stock went up after he put up 30 points in 46 games during last year's half season, but at this point it looks like it could be a struggle for him to match the same total over a full 82 games. Here's what you need to know about Lars Eller. Over one-third of his points this year came in the first four games of the season, That's when he scored four of his ten goals and two of his ten total assists on the air. In his last 25 games, he has a piddly three points. He's recently found himself in a defensive role in Montreal's bottom six, saddled with scoring drain Rene Bork and a tough guy, either Brandon Press or Travis Moen. His coach is giving him a chance to work through it with a little bit of power play time and still decent minutes, but like I said, not getting the opportunities that a top six forward would get And until he sees that or starts finding his scoring touch, I think he's a waste of a roster spot. So stop snoozing on Lars Eller.
0: Yeah, Lars Eller is actually still owned in my league. My league, which is inhabited by silly Habs fans that don't know how to let go.
1: Yeah, well, they're not alone. 26% owned in
0: Yahoo still. I've got a snoozer for you, Brian. Okay. So this guy's actually owned in 79.5% of ESPN leagues. So maybe a lot of our listeners still have this guy. Maybe you'll say it's not exactly a snoozer. Maybe it's just a big slump. But Chris Kreider on the New York Rangers has totally disappeared in the last nine games so he's got one goal and two assists in his last nine games and they all came in one game against the islanders so you take out that game and he's doing nothing and the thing that makes me especially happy about this turn of events is that a guy in my pool just last week dropped Derek Brassard to pick up Kreider and Brassard has four points in his last three games But yeah, so I'm curious to get your thoughts. Kreider's obviously a rookie, so you'd expect him to have his ups and downs, and maybe he's good to hold on to if you're in a dynasty-type league where you get to keep rookies. But yeah, Kreider's definitely not doing as well as he was earlier in the year, because he does have 30 points in 49 games overall, which is respectable. But like I said, zero in eight of his last nine games.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't give up on him yet. His Possession numbers are still pretty strong, and he's still playing on a line with Derek Stepan and Rick Nash. Everything else I see looks about normal, so I I really do think it's just a matter of time until he finds his game again. Maybe before he was a little hotter than he should normally be, but I think right now he's a lot colder than he should normally be, too.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, maybe he's a snoozer in a league like our friend who emailed that you know, has Kadri available in his free agent list.
1: Yeah, drop Kreider for Kadri
0: Do it. So, Brian, we're approaching the end of the show. So sad. But before we end, we, of course, have to do our patented lightning round where you just give her on a couple of players 30 seconds each. You promised something about Colorado, so let's hear it.
1: Yeah, and I'm going to ask for a, an exemption on the 30-second lightning round rule to get into this, just to make sure I can cover all of it. And the player on Colorado that I'm going to make an example of is Nathan McKinnon, the rookie. He's got 11 points in his last seven games played. He had five goals, six assists, and 20 shots on goal in that span. That gives him 20 goals and 20 assists on the year for 40 points total in 54 games played. So he's good. He's really good. But he's had some help. His teammates are shooting at a success rate that's about 3% higher than the league average at even strength, which means that he's seeing a little bit of luck play in his favor. He also sees the best ratio of offensive zone starts of any forward on his team, which has helped his production. But McKinnon is in the bottom six forwards on his team in possession numbers, which is actually the opposite of what should happen with all those starts in the offensive zone. And going back to what I was saying to you before when I teased talking about Colorado, he's not unique. The abs are all right up there. Like, I'd even maybe put them up there with the Leafs as entire teams who are due to regress. They've both seen more than their fair share of luck so far and have had easier schedules than most other teams to date. So that said, McKinnon's performance, as well as all the other abs, could see a hit over the second half of the year, and it's something to be wary of
0: if you're one of their owners. Who do you have next for us?
1: And the last one is Sergei Bobrovsky. Now, it was going to be a tall order for him to repeat the numbers that he put up last year when he won the Vesna. But in his first 23 starts this year, it was really looking like a fluke. He had just 10 wins, a 9.06 save percentage, and a 2.71 goals against average. But then he got injured. And then he came back about a month later. And he's totally turned his season around since then. But Barofsky has won 9 of 11 starts since his return from injury. He's stopped over 93% of the shots he's faced and is giving up a stingy 2.18 goals per game. But he shouldn't get all the credit. I'm going to give you a mouthful here. If you look at his team's rolling 10-game Fenwick close percentages, which is really just a fancy way of saying how often Columbus has the puck, you see that the Blue Jackets have actually bottomed out in possession numbers around the time of Bobrovsky's injury, and since then, they've trended up consistently. Bobrovsky did not suddenly remember how to play goal, but his team did figure out how to play better, and so he's been better as a result. There's also no real indication that luck is a significant factor here either. So as long as the Blue Jackets can keep playing well in front of him, it looks like Bobrovsky could be for real.
0: I feel like I'm supposed to now say Bobrovsky in a funny voice and then everyone will laugh. But I won't do it. Okay? This isn't that kind of show.
1: Way to take a stand.
0: (laughs) Alright, and that's gonna do it for our show. Thanks everyone for joining us on the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey podcast. A couple of notes before we sign up. Office Pools is currently offering free Olympic hockey pools for anyone interested. So we were thinking if any one of our listeners want to join us in an Olympic hockey pool, let's say if we can get eight people, let's do a pool. Let's do a Keeping Carlson Olympic pool. So tweet at us at Keeping Carlson or email us keepingcarlson at gmail.com if you're interested. And then we'll forward information if we end up setting one up. Another note I wanted to mention a good hockey podcast I was recently introduced to, Netcrashers. These guys talk all about what's going on in the league. It's not as much about fantasy hockey, but just a solid hockey podcast. You could check that out at netcrashers.ca. Let's cue that outro music now. Brian, roll the credits. Tell everyone about the resources we used to put the show together.
1: Sure. A big thank you to Extra Skater, Left Wing Lock, Behind the Net, Dabber Hockey, Yahoo Sports Fantasy Hockey and ESPN
0: Fantasy Hockey for helping us research the show. Good luck next week, Brian, and we'll be back as always next week for another edition of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. Thanks, Elon. Good luck, everybody.